All right, friends, let's talk. Let's talk about human-animal hybrids. This is a subject that has been on my mind for a long time, especially coming from biotechnology, bioengineering sector of scientific research. Um, and then going into the field I'm in now, it still is very interested, uh, interesting to me, although I'm more into the holistic side of medicine. So uh, animal-human hybrids or human-animal hybrids, we're talking about chimeras. We're talking about scientists basically merging human DNA and animal DNA. And this is probably one of the most taboo acts in the entire scientific world. And it's always been something controversial. So up until uh, just like recently, this was allowed, but the embryo had to be destroyed within 14 days. So they had basically a 14-day window in uh, to experiment and to see what it does and all of that. Well, the Senate just passed the Endless Frontiers Act, which among other things, criminalizes participation in research that creates chimeras or human-animal hybrids. So just a little background. In 2019, Japan approved their first human-animal uh, embryo experiments where they had implanted uh, human cells into rat embryos in hopes to produce animals with organs that could have been um, harvested for humans in need. So basically, using uh, pluripotent cells or the cells that can just grow into anything uh, from birth, basically, um, to grow something like an appendix and a rat. And once the rat grows, uh, could then be cut open to give the spleen to a human, right? Or something, some sort of body part. So my thoughts on it is that I believe that this type of experimentation has been going on for a long time and that it's not going anywhere. I think the experimentation has gone a lot further than this and it will continue to go on. I think this act is just that. The Endless Frontiers Act, it's just that. And I know it covers a lot of other things, but that whole thing that outlaws chimeras, I don't think that it's much beyond surface level. You guys can look it up. It is an actual act that has been passed. Um, this whole thing about this, just this entire, um, this entire discussion, it's giving me these Long Island lab vibes. If you guys remember, there's three major ones. There's Brookhaven. I believe that they do the physics research there. There's Cold Spring Harbor where they do more genetics research. And then there's Plum Island where you have the straight animal research. It's like the Long Island version of the CDC or maybe even the Wuhan lab in China. Cold Spring Harbor to me is the most interesting well that along with Plum Island because I do believe that they do research together because I used to actually know someone a very close family friend that worked at the Cold Spring Harbor lab but then I feel like I remember him saying things about having to take a boat over to Plum Island and this guy if I could describe him he was probably very close to looking like a black version of Christopher Lloyd he was basically an uncle to us and he was a very good friend of my family's and I remember going out to his house in Huntington I don't know if it was like Huntington Forest or something like that out in Long Island and he was very 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 brilliant like one of the most brilliant men I've ever known but he was very secretive about the work that he did there and I'll never forget this man for as long as I live because he was the main man in my life that inspired me to want to go into science and he was very knowledgeable and intelligent about the plants around him about the things that were going on in the news like current events and um just talk, telling us about 
about how to manipulate DNA. And this was when I was very, very, very young that he would have these conversations with me. I don't think he knew how to have any other conversations at all. So that, that was how he connected. And I, you know, while the other children, my siblings and such were not interested in his conversations, I found it to be very uh, interesting and I could listen to him for hours, but he did work out at these labs. And whenever I asked him, I'm not going to say his name. I don't know if the man is still living. He was kind of old uh, when I knew him and this was maybe like 20 years ago. And so I don't want to say his name and get him into any type of trouble because I'm sure that he was not allowed to discuss what he was working on out there. But I remember him tell, uh, you know, from well, when I asked him, I would ask him, uncle so-and-so, what do you do? Like, what is, what is your actual job? And he would just say, I'm a scientist. And I would ask him, well, what are you working on? Since he knew everything that was going on. And he said, well, come on, you know, I can't say that, you know, I can't tell you that. So he like joked it off and, you know, because I was young, I didn't really press it, but all of this reminds me of what he was probably involved in. But, you know, there was always some mystery surrounding the Plum Island Animal Research Lab because of the fact that they hold potentially dangerous viruses and that they do, in fact, conduct secret animal experiments there. If you guys remember uh, the Montauk Monster, remember it washed up on the beach in like around 2008, 2009, it was around that time and nobody could really figure out what this thing was. And to this day, there's still debate about whether or not it was some kind of deformed raccoon. And I remember the scientists just not being able to figure out what this thing was and why did it wash up in this trajectory that would have probably come from Plum Island onto Montauk Beach. Oh, and the body had disappeared off the beach. Like it disappeared suddenly. Um, so to it, just to do this podcast, I, you know, I looked it up again and I just started connecting the pieces. But I remember a few years later that there was this Newsday story. This was in the Newsday. It was in the New York Post and a couple of other newspapers as well. If you, I don't, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, but I remember this story distinctly. This was like in 2011, 2012 or so, where a major maintenance person found a mutant man that had washed up on the shore of Plum Island. So it was somebody that was doing maintenance. Maybe he was driving around on his golf court or his truck or whatever, trying to, you know, just maintain the island, whatever, make sure everything was okay. And this man washes up on the island. The man I remember was described as black. They said he was very tall and long. And the, the, the defining feature, which always stuck in my head is that he had 10 inch long fingers and two holes drilled into his scalp. Now you can't make this up. You cannot make this shit up. I remember that story like it was yesterday. And I remember iterations of that story in other newspapers that came after that hid his race and also hid some of those finer details. They didn't say the exact length of his fingers. They didn't say that he was black. And also they left out the two holes drilled into his head. But I have an original uh, image of that particular story that came up because it was very, very local. And then it seemed like maybe he reported it to the um, to the police and they had to put it out because it was, you know, it's a public story. It's a public thing. But I think after that, the island probably gave the news um, 
publications different versions of the stories. And um, what I think happened, if you ask me, and I know you guys probably are having thoughts in your head about this right now, I don't think that he washed up out of no nowhere. I think this was a man that they probably were doing experiments on. He probably tried to escape. He couldn't swim because this is an island that is a very far off of the coast of Long Island and that he drowned and the waves deposited him back to the shore where somebody discovered his body. Nobody has yet to claim this man because I did try to follow up with the story. Nobody's um, Nobody has claimed this man and why was he found like that? Why did he have two holes drilled into his head? I'm getting an image of like a guy sitting on a chair strapped down or into a gurney a table or something like that and they're doing all types of experiments on this man and why was his body so deformed in this way why was he looking like this why was he you know I remember the um the first reports was that he was well over seven feet tall they didn't know exactly his height because nobody measured him but the um the person that found him said that he had to have been over seven feet tall why were his fingers 10 inches long you know the all of these things are in my mind you know and it definitely makes you think and the fact that no one really followed up with this this really should have been made into um you know somebody should have done something you know just to keep the story going because this was very 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 odd to me and I remember that you know it was just kind of swept under the rug and nobody really talked about it um so you know this is just this all goes along with it it's just you know thinking about this over the years I think that all of this human-animal hybrid um, experimentation is leading to other things. Yes, I believe that they are doing experiments to find, um, you know, parts uh, for humans to be able to do transplants for people who are on waiting lists and things like that. I do think there's probably a segment of the scientific community that uh, would like to do something noble like that, you know, to be able to provide organ transplants and things like that. However, I do think that there's something more nefarious going on here now just follow me here and I know this may be a little bit of a stretch but don't be surprised if you hear more about this later so I think that this is leading up to animals becoming surrogates for birth and again I know it sounds like a stretch but just follow me it's really not as bizarre as you think because when you think about um how animal DNA, especially pig DNA, right? Swine uh, DNA or sow DNA is very close to human DNA. Um, And that the fact that their wombs would be viable enough to hold a human baby, then you understand that this is not so far off. Not only have they successfully penetrated pigs' eggs with human sperm, but they've also begun modifying sows using CRISPR technology to become surrogates. Yeah, this is real. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. I actually have the articles, you know, that I use to do research for these episodes. We'll definitely talk more about CRISPR later on in another episode, but I just want you to know this is not that far off. When you consider the low birth rates all over the world, the fact that less people are getting married overall, and then you understand that that they're always looking for alternatives. This has given me Black Mirror vibes. Y'all remember the National Anthem episode? Like the um, the one that was called, uh, what was the name of that one? It was the one with the Prime Minister. And in order to get the princess back, he had to, um, the, the British princess back, he had to have sex with this cow, I mean, excuse me, with this pig 
on air. That made me think of that immediately when I learned about the CRISPR pigs. That was crazy. That episode was so disturbing. If you have Netflix, go and watch the national anthem. I believe it's the very first Black Mirror episode. Uh, and we're going to talk more about Black Mirror for sure, because that is definitely one of my favorite uh, shows that is on, um, uh, you know, available for streaming now. Uh, even though, I don't know, whenever uh, season four is coming out or or is it season six? Gosh, I don't even know what they're up to. Anyway, so that definitely gave me national anthem vibes to think about that. Is that a little bit of predictive programming or what? You know, and then think about also Netflix's new movie, Sweet Tooth. Come on. You didn't want a little dear baby when you saw that little furry baby in a receiving blanket. Did you see that? Did you notice that? And notice who was carrying him in that blanket. That image was designed to pull on our heartstrings for real, for real. That image of that little baby in that receiving blanket. Number one, little dogs are becoming like our surrogate babies anyway. But then to see that cute little adorable baby, that definitely, I was like, okay, all right. When I saw that, I said, okay, let me stop looking at this image because it's this image is going to make me start lactating or something. It was crazy, but there, there's always some sort of propaganda. If you look at that movie, it's very, very, very political or that I guess they're making it into a series. I'm not quite sure, but um, I watched some of it. I didn't watch it all, but it was basically that people were, um, I remember people were pitted against each other. So there were these um, these chimera babies that were um, either bird, half bird, half human, half deer, half human, maybe dogs and all types of creatures. But all the babies were super cute. And um, there was a sector of the population that was against them. And um, the news story that was, you know, when you hear the news playing in the background, it was always like these people that are against the chimeras, that were against the hybrids. And, um, you know, it, the whole thing was just very political. And it certainly is a propaganda designed to put some sort of um, idea in your head that, you know, you're either for this or you're against this. And it's so important that you watch that with a discerning eye so that way you don't get caught up <laughs> for a moment the way I was you know, looking at this and saying, oh, this can't be that bad. It's like a mixture of a little baby and, a, and, and, and you know, a little toy poodle or something, right? So, um, you know, you really got to think about stuff like that. And I'm certainly going to watch that as time goes on, because I do believe that that is another piece of predictive programming. But will we see birthing farms in the future? Will we see rows and rows of sows birthing little human babies in the future? Will it be your national duty to donate eggs and sperm to keep the population numbers up? Because as you know, if those population numbers fall of working uh, able and working bodies, then our economy tanks. And you're seeing this happen in certain countries uh, where the population uh where the where the deaths are outpacing the births and this has a lot to do with you know work schedules people not wanting to get married at early ages anymore but overall you have to understand that the population in certain areas is going down and i don't you know listen we'll talk later about uh what this could be attributed to specifically as it relates to environmental uh inputs and things like that and factors but just know that the population is going down. And this is a great fear, uh, for, um, for countries, for nations, because it does affect the economy in a negative way. So I just want to know where we're going with this. Is this why the definition of a humanity is constantly being broken apart, pulled apart, dissected, and sometimes even attacked? 
I believe like most people do that human life is unique, it's sacred, it's holy and precious, and that any attempts to modify it, add to it, alternate it is amoral and unethical. That's my personal opinion about it. So although I am um, heavily involved in the scientific community, I do not agree with this, uh, with the modification of human DNA, with even transhumanism to a certain extent. And we are going to have an episode on that, but you know, growing organs and animals for harvesting because it does harm the animals. There's got to be some animal that is going to be used to do this. This isn't, you know, this is a live living creature and I do believe in animal rights. So, you know, I'm very, very curious to know, um, what everybody thinks about this. Um, I got to figure out how we can connect right but in the meantime if you like to support my um if you like to support this podcast you like to hear more there are links in there for donating and i appreciate that so let's move on to hyper healthy so let's talk sea moss now i remember my father preparing irish moss for us as children he used to cook it up on the stove with vanilla and milk and sugar and cinnamon and some other spices it was kind of thick like a milkshake um and it was it was good it was delicious And it was a part of his Jamaican culture. And, um, you know, we didn't really know why it was good for us. He just knew that his father prepared it. And I didn't really know his father. So that's why I said um, his culture. Uh, But we did know that sea moss was nutritious. I don't think people really understood how nutritious it was. It has almost all the the minerals and B vitamins that your body needs. It's rich in iodine. It helps remove mucus from your body. It helps to heal the skin, especially for people suffering psoriasis and eczema and things like that. It's great for joint issues because that that gelatin um, is very similar to the glucosamine and chondroitin, uh, chondroitin that's in your joints. It's good for you. That's bottom line. It's healthy. It's very nutritious. Um, it's found in the ocean in abundance. And in particularly, it grows on the shores of the Atlantic uh, Ocean and between Europe. So that's why the name Irish Moss. That's how I've always known it as Irish Moss. It was eaten by the Irish during the famine in Ireland during the 19th century. But it's also found in Jamaica along the shores, so Jamaicans prepared it in their own ways. So it's, it is central to different cultures. It's just different cultures prepared it and grew it in their own way. The bottom line is that CMOS is a great supplement for most people. I just don't believe that it should be consumed every single day, and here's why. Um, the fact that it's found on the shores of the U.S., and well, if you know anything about runoff and ocean pollution, environmental science, then you know that every plant an animal absorbs our waste through cells once the rainwater carries it from the manufacturing plants, the cruise ships, and homes into the roads, then into the sea. So just like the fish we eat, it may be high in some heavy metals and toxins. The second reason is the, for the fact that it's high in iodine. It's just naturally high in iodine. As you know, your thyroid needs iodine to function. However, too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Most of your cooking salt contains iodine, right? Your table salt, it's iodized. So adding more can be toxic to your thyroid. It can lead to gland inflammation and other issues and ultimately thyroid cancer. But the first signs that you're going to see is hypothyroidism, which can look like uh, weight gain, fatigue, feeling cold all the time, high cholesterol, uh, memory issues, depression, and other issues. That is what happens when your thyroid starts to go. So I'd say like everything else, use it with caution. And just remember, again, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. That includes water. That includes chamomile tea and ginger okay that includes everything 
So just be careful. I definitely recommend that you take it. This is great for your iron as well. Um, you can Google so much about, um, about sea moss and our, or Irish moss, again, as, as I know it. It's wonderful. There's different types. And so um, I do believe that this is a healthy supplement, just in moderation, just like everything else, everything in moderation. So that's all I have for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I will try to get these episodes up at least three to five times per week. I had a great time. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you.